Hey everybody, welcome to the JDO Show. I'm your host, J. David Osborne, and today on the show, we are not going to be having any guests. I'm going to be talking about Yuri Herrera's novel, The Transmigration of Bodies, which is a noir that is set during a plague in Mexico. I picked it up off the shelf because I wanted to get back into reading novellas. I have a theory that if you want to get the ball rolling on productivity, you have to start finishing things. I'd been in a bit of a funk for about two weeks due to the mental bullshit that's going on with all this COVID stuff, and I felt like I needed to get back to it. I needed to get started, so I picked a bunch of random novellas off um, my bookshelf, and I picked up The Transmigration of Bodies first, and lo and behold, I open up the book, and it is taking place during a plague. This plague is particularly nasty. When people catch it in the book, they vomit blood. It's a little bit more extreme than the coronavirus. But the story itself, the noir story at the heart of this book, was very, very existentially interesting. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about that. There will be spoilers, sorry. That's just how we talk about books here. At the end of it, I'm going to talk a little bit about our minds and how we think about what's going on right now. And I'm going to have a few tips for you if you're interested as to how to sort of maintain mental health during this current crisis. So I would like to start off with a passage from the transmigration of bodies. And after that, I'm going to talk about how successfully Herrera manages to build a world in a little under 100 pages. So this is from the beginning of the novel. For the past four days, the message had been stay calm. Everybody calm. This is not a big deal. On a bus, he himself had witnessed the pseudo-calm of skepticism. A street peddler had boarded the bus selling bottles of bubble gel. He blew into a plastic ring, and little solar systems sailed down the aisle, oscillating, suspended, landing on people without bursting. Gel bubbles, he said, last far longer than soap bubbles. You can play with them, and he took a few between his fingers, jiggled, pressed, and puffed. One popped on a man's forehead, and just then the penny dropped. The bubble was full of air and spit from a stranger's mouth. A rictus of icy panic spread across the passengers' faces. The man got up and said, Get the fuck off. The peddler stammered, What's the problem, friend? No need to act like that, but the guy was already on him. When the guy lifted him up by his sweater, the driver slowed, just a bit, and opened the doors so the vendor and his bottles could be tossed to the curb. Then he closed the doors and sped back up, and no one said a word. Not even him. But at the time... They could still think they'd escaped the danger. Last night's news was no longer a dodge. The story had been picked up everywhere. Two men in a restaurant, total strangers, started spitting blood almost simultaneously and collapsed over their tables. That was when the government came out and admitted, we believe the epidemic, and that was the first time they used the word, may be a tad more aggressive than we'd initially thought. We believe it can only be transmitted by mosquitoes, Egyptian mosquitoes, they underscored. 
though there have been a couple of cases that appear to have been spread by other means, so while we're ruling out whatever we can rule out, it's best to stop everything, though really there's no cause for concern. We have the best and brightest tracking down whatever this is, and of course we have hospitals too, but just in case, you know, best to stay home and not kiss anybody or touch anybody and to cover your nose and your mouth and report any symptoms, but the main thing is stay calm, which, logically was taken to mean lock yourself up or this fucker will take you down because we've unleashed some serious wrath. Fucking cool, right? Herrera is a master of world building in this novel. He starts off with passages like that. He doesn't need to go big picture. When you watch zombie films, you often see television screens on which news reporters are saying, in Beijing today, this many people were infected, and you, you, know, you see the zombies running through and tearing people apart. Then you jump over to Europe, and a car is overturned. Then you jump down to South Africa, and another car is overturned. And they try to give you this picture of a worldwide pandemic, using zombie movies because those are probably the best analogs. But in this book, Herrera very specifically keeps it small. There are only three locations in this particular novel. There's the main character's house, there is a, a street with brothels on it, and there is another meeting house. And you sort of move between those three locations because everything else is closed. And by keeping it small, keeping it to this neighborhood, keeping everybody intimate with each other so that everybody knows everybody else allows the reader to also feel as though they know the characters themselves. There's something to be said for keeping these books small and keeping them intimate. So, as for the plot, our main character is a middle-aged gentleman who's just called the Redeemer, which is a common tactic that this book uses in naming characters. There's the Redeemer, the Neanderthal, the Unruly, and the Mennonite. Probably missing a few. Oh yes, there's Dolphin as well. And then some folks have uh, regular names. There's Vicky, and then the love interest is called Three Times Blonde. So Herrera is doing something very interesting with the naming of these characters because calling people the something does all the job of archetype building for you. Well, if you pick the correct name, such as the unruly, you don't have to go through paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of even describing the character. That's already who they are. You picture them as being quite unruly, people who don't follow rules, people who are maybe a little disheveled, a little wild-eyed. The Redeemer, what is he doing? Well, he is a lawyer, or an ex-lawyer, who essentially negotiates trades between rival gang families. But not just that, he's more of a fixer. If something goes wrong, he's the person who can make it right. Classic sort of noir character. In The Transmigration of Bodies, his Redeemer job is between two warring families, the Fonsecas and the Castros. They're fighting over something that, you know what, actually I don't have to quite spoil that because it's not important to what I'm talking about, but it's these two rival families 
who are fighting with each other, each one of them kidnaps one of the other's children. So one side kidnaps a young woman named Baby Girl, and the other side kidnaps their son named Romeo. Now what happens in the book is that both of these captives end up dying. But their deaths are not caused by their captors. In one case, Baby Girl ends up dying because of the disease that is ravaging that small town. And Romeo is hit by a car, completely unrelated to his kidnapping. So a theme of this book that's repeated over and over again by people who are trying to make sense of this capture and these families fighting is that these kind of things don't just happen. But of course what the book is saying by repeating that phrase, these things don't just happen, is that of course these things do just happen which I'll return to in a second. There's a significant amount of the book that deals with male sexuality. Uh, Herrera does not seem to be a huge fan of the fellas. Dudes do not rock in 2020, according to him. Um, however, I just did something. I'm going to try not to do that in the future. I'm going to really try not to attribute how a writer feels about any particular thing. It's a bad habit that I've been trying to shake for years, and sometimes it's just hard. When you're talking about a particular work, you want to say, this is the way Welbeck feels about women, or this is the way that, uh, in, well, in this case, that Herrera feels about men. So I'm going to try not to do that. Sorry about that. But there are a lot of uh, instances in which he takes the piss out of dudes and their horniness, which is always fun. So the Redeemer is a middle-aged guy. He's got a hot neighbor. Um... And as is the case in a lot of noir books, uh, she decides that she wants to fuck him. But they do not have condoms. So kind of a recurring joke theme within the book is that in this sort of apocalyptic pandemic wasteland where everybody's trying to get face masks, the Redeemer is very, very concerned with finding an open store so that he can buy condoms. And... While he's doing that, there's this particular passage where he's in the car with his compatriots. There's the Neanderthal, who's the muscle, uh, and then there's Vicky, who's a nurse who's been tasked with making sure that the two uh, bodies have not been messed with, if you know what I mean. But he starts to talk to Vicky, he being the Redeemer, and the passage goes something like this. Yeah, sometimes the ladies let their guard down, right? The Neanderthal said. Oh, God, said Vicky. Here we go. She's going to tell me off. No, I'm not. It's just that you don't get it at all. See, men will fuck a chair, even if it's missing a leg. But when women fuck an ugly man or a jerk, it's not because we'll fuck any old thing. It's because that's the way things start, and we know there's more to it. Men don't come to see that till years later, once they've stopped mounting everything that crosses their path. Thanks, sweetheart. I knew one of these days you'd come to appreciate us. This only applies to men with a soul, Nian. So maybe Vicky simply understood different things. Either way, the Redeemer braked and left the two of them there in their silence when he caught sight of a pharmacy. 
He got out of the car, but immediately saw that it was closed, and the metal shutters had been beaten repeatedly with a pipe or a club or a desperate fist, and beside the shutter hung a penciled sign reading, No Face Masks. Damn it. Oh well, he had work to do. Maybe he'd find somewhere open on the way. He returned to the bug and rolled down the window so as not to hear the silence between Vicky and Nian, but the silence of the street slipped in instead. A stubble field of frantic signals emitted from the antenna that fear had planted in people's heads. He could sense the agitation from behind their closed doors, but sensed no urgent need to get out. It was terrifying how readily everyone had accepted enclosure. Now, while this is not a supernatural book, there are no supernatural elements to this, it certainly has a kind of melancholy feeling of almost a ghost inside of the book. Because this is particularly dealing with a plague, and more specifically the deaths of two children, as the older folks uh, continue to live and sort of do their thing, everybody who dies in this book, now that I think about it, is a younger person. So it's probably in response to actual deaths, the way that deaths have been working in Mexico for the past 10, 12 years or so. I'm not qualified to speak on that. I would venture a guess that somebody much more qualified could talk about that, but there is this feeling of death coming back to take what it wants, and what it seems to want is youth. You have the Redeemer. He covets this young woman. Um, all he can think about is possessing this woman. You have these two warring families who possess these young bodies and they're going to trade them, but there's this kind of tension over who owns these youthful bodies. And that, I think, is something that's very much worth thinking about in our sort of modern times. There's a parasitic thing going on where the bodies of the youth are coveted, whether it's you know sexually or just for their youth. There's something to be said about mapping that on to society as a whole and taking a lesson from that. Now, I don't know if you noticed from that passage that I just read, but he's got, once again, this pandemic nailed down. And I didn't do my research. I don't know if there was a pandemic in Mexico at a certain point that he lived through that he could kind of take these details from, but everything from the face masks being out to the way that the government handles it first by telling you not to worry at all, and then by telling you to panic and stay inside and don't come out, he hit pretty much every nail that we've been experiencing on the head. And so, thinking about that, I'm going to leave off my talk of the book with a final passage. So this is towards the end of the book, and this is when the characters are sort of standing around, figuring out what to do next, all sort of shell-shocked by what has just occurred. A cold breeze began, timidly. The Neanderthal rubbed his hands together and said, What now? You got juice? No, Nian, Vicky said. It's time to go. Each of us will clean our guts our own way. Okay, the Neanderthal replied, and looked the Redeemer up and down. I'd say I hope your way involves getting it on with the neighbor, but shit, state you're in, I think you'll keel over before you can say bless my soul. He gave him a rough pat on the back and said, we're out of here. Vicky came to give him a kiss and, right as she was about to, turned to one side and sneezed into her elbow. Maybe one day people wouldn't even remember when everyone had started doing it like that, instead of covering their noses with their hands. 
It takes a serious scare for some gestures to take hold, but then they end up like scars that seem to have been there all along. Maybe they themselves would one day be nothing but someone's scar, nameless, no epitaph, just a line on the skin. Because like everything, this too would pass, and the world would act innocent for a while, until it scared them shitless once more. Now, I chose to leave off on that passage because it's my contention that this book also has to deal with human fear. A lot of the characters in the book are afraid, and they don't cope with their fear in healthy ways. We can just say that. As a final note on that book, um, it's phenomenally written. Herrera is probably one of our best pro stylists that we got going right now. I recommend you check out any of his books. I've read this one, Kingdom Cons, and uh, what was the one with the border crossing? I can't remember. Shit. But that one's good too. So highly recommend it. It's very short, nice, easy, brisk read. can get you back into reading books. But to go back to this idea of fear, and to get back to this idea of where we are all at right now mentally, I wanted to kind of talk about some things that I've been doing to keep my mind right. So, first thing, exercise. If you guys know me on Twitter, or, you know, God forbid Facebook, or some other godforsaken social media platform, You know that I like to exercise. The gyms have been closed since March 18th, I believe. Um, It's been difficult. I think that there is a lot of um, dismissive attitudes towards people who say, I need to get back to the gym. What I think a lot of people don't realize is that exercise for some of us is the way that we keep ourselves sane. By going and lifting heavy things, we are able to sort of wear ourselves out. And that all kind of got pulled out from under us really quickly. Just just as a quick thing too, by the way, uh, if you're the kind of person who's going to listen to the things that I have to say and think, oh, poor you, you don't get to go to the gym, you can stop listening now. I don't have any time for the lack of nuance that you have in your opinion. So you can stop listening. But basically what I started doing is I started working out from home. Luckily, Target has uh, had some kettlebells. Those are gone now. So I have a 15-pound kettlebell, which is not really enough for doing, say, shoulder work, but I can do curls with it. I can do chest raises, things like that. Lots of body weight. Um, if you go on YouTube and look up Athlean X Perfect Home Workout, that dude does some pretty incredible stuff. Most of his videos are very much worth checking out. But he's got a whole home workout regimen that you can do to kind of keep yourself in shape and sort of keep, you know, yourself from going crazy thinking about this shit. Because if you're like me and you lost your job, you're stuck at home with not a whole lot to do. So exercise is really important. I have to keep my place clean. So I do a lot of cleaning, a lot of laundry, a lot of dishwashing. Um, Once again, these sort of physical activities help me to keep my mind straight. And I will actually probably get more into that if I end up having my next podcast be over uh, Sun and Steel, the uh, confessional uh, autobiography sort of of uh, Yukio Mishima. 
if that's the next one, there's a lot in there about how writers in particular need a sort of exercise to be the yin to the yang of the words, but I'll get into that later. So exercise is a big one. Keeping things clean is another important one. Meditation, big, big thing here. Whether you meditate or whether you pray, I cannot stress this enough. Sit in a room, breathe in and breathe out, count the breaths. Don't even do the headspace thing where you have to let certain thoughts go. Let whatever thoughts you want come in. Just sit there, close your eyes, focus on your breath, and take 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening to get yourself right. These are all basic things. Now, if you want my more specialized stuff when it comes to meditation, uh, I like to do that, but I also like to do the Wim Hof method. So I've been focusing really strongly on the Wim Hof method. There are free videos online for how to do those breath exercises. They're extremely intense. Uh, you get kind of high from doing them. But allegedly, and the science is seeming to back this up, doing the Wim Hof method can increase your immune system's ability to fight off disease. And it can also make you do crazy shit. Like this guy, Wim Hof, a guy from the Netherlands, he's, been, he's able to go into, uh, you know, ice baths and actually melt all the ice and his body temperature doesn't change and you know he walks uh, up Mount Everest in flip-flops with no shirt on and he's completely fine and it's not a genetics thing because he's got a twin brother who can't do any of the things that he gets so genetically identical but one of them can do these things and one of them can't so he has a lot of interesting interviews online that you can check out on YouTube and you can also check out the method. It involves this breathing stuff and also cold showers, which I do every morning. So we can ding that as well as a potential mental health helper. A cold shower is really great if you're ever freaking out. Uh, I like to just turn the cold shower on really fast and just strip off all my clothes and just jump in and stay there for like 30 seconds because it really sort of focuses you physically on a pinpoint of stress, which is that cold. So you learn to kind of love the cold in a way. Wim Hof says this shit all the time. The cold is my teacher. The cold taught me how to, you know, do this with my body. Very mystical and very tight, if you ask me. But uh, cold showers are huge for this kind of thing. Going outside, going on walks, grounding is extremely important. Go find some dirt and put your bare feet into it. It helps uh, with the magnetism of your body. Uh, I will truthfully embarrass myself if I say anything more than that, other than I'm personally convinced that it's something that helps. So go out and try that. Uh, finally, this is the final point. If you're going to go online, or God forbid, you're going to watch TV, we have to remember how to read the news, and we have to remember some things that I thought we all knew. Before this pandemic, if I were to ask pretty much everybody that I would talk to would realize that you don't ever trust the media, ever. Now, this is something that goes without saying when it is a position that we don't agree with. So we all know, I think probably everybody listening to this is some kind of left. If not, welcome. I got nothing against you. If you watched Fox News like I did when I was in high school, 
when Bush was invading Iraq, and you could just see plainly through this bullshit, it would drive you a little crazy. And you'd realize, okay, this is not a news station that is telling me the truth. That Fox News model, unfortunately, has seeped out into pretty much everything, whether that's CNN, MSNBC, whatever, what have you. And the reason why is simple, right? It's for clicks. These things have to survive. They're businesses. They need to make money. And Fox News pioneered a way of making money that everybody else adopted. So I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm sure most of you get this. But what has mystified me is that as soon as this pandemic happens, we're taking everything that we read on the news and that we see on those little Twitter moments as gospel. And that is bizarre to me. I got to admit, that's bizarre to me. It's bizarre that we're suddenly trusting the World Health Organization and the CDC. Not their data, but their projections, especially after 2009. So you can go online, you can go to some different websites, you can do some searches kind of for yourself. Um, I try to do this even when there's not a pandemic involved. I try to do this, I try to go to places like Zero Hedge, which is a pretty right-wing site. I go to uh, Armstrong Economics because his, you know, Socrates model is pretty fucking accurate. Shout out to Rune Soup for pointing me in that direction. Um, but I like to find these different perspectives on things because they help you create a bigger picture. A lot of folks think that they're going to get some secondhand ugliness from doing this practice, but I promise you won't. It is certainly worth going undercover on the enemy side of things, behind enemy lines, if you will, because you'll understand them better, which is helpful for strengthening what you believe in. And you will also pick up a lot of helpful info that gets swept aside by your side, because everybody is involved in the creation of narrative building, from you to me to my dog to this apartment complex, to this state, to this country, and the news media that hovers over it like a ugly-ass storm cloud, right? Everybody is creating narrative. That's what human beings do. That's what words do. That's what we've been doing since we pointed at a fucking leaf on the ground and called it ug. We've been creating narrative since then. That's a good portion of what magic is. Shout out to Alan Moore. So... If you want to have a more nuanced, more complete narrative for how you understand the world, how you understand what's going on, go ahead and try it out. Go undercover. Become a daywalker. See how the other half lives. It'll be good for you in the long run. So with that, I'll pretty much sign off. Make sure that you're taking care of your health, people. Watch your immune system. Take care of your gut biome. Put your feet in some fucking dirt. Make sure you get sun. Shout out to my friends in Portland. I'm sorry that... That's not really how Portland works, but make sure you're getting that vitamin D. Super, super important. Everybody, please stay healthy, both physically and mentally. Um, I send all this out in a spirit of peace and, and just hope that the, that the world can come back from this in a new way, in a different way. I hope that we've all sort of learned the pointlessness of jobs. I hope that this has a sort of re a revolutionary quality to it. Not sure if that's the right word, but I, I truly hope that we come out of this better people with better ideas about how to live and how to take care of each other. So uh, if you want to, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at BRB, as in Broken River Books, J-D-O. 
as in J. David Osborne. If you're on other social media websites, God bless you. Stay safe. Um, next week, I will probably be back to talk about Yukio Mishima's Sun and Steel, unless maybe we'll fit in another episode with Rav where we talk about Greek mystery cults. So I have my fingers crossed for that one, but we're all dealing with shit, and I'm not pushing anybody to do anything that they don't have time for. So I'll see you soon. Keep your head on straight, and uh, yeah, holler if you need anything. Okay, bye.